God, in everything that God gave us. And today, Lord, we want to meet God not just here in this house, but we want to join in worship with all the houses. We want to walk into the throne room into an eternal moment with you and with each other and with those all over the world, some that are in countries like our own, Western, First World, some that are suffering, some that are persecuted, some that are just look very different from how we look, but we all have the same thing. We're all after Jesus. So I ask you today to help us to connect with the, the larger, the full, the entire body that is Jesus loving this world. And I pray that you would help us to love Jesus, to love each other, to be patient and kind with each other. And I pray that today would honor you in every way possible. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You guys can have a seat, but you have to stay awake. That's the only bargain I need to make, stay awake. Brother Klein is with us from Vision Beyond Borders. Uh, he's been all over the world. I had the honor of hosting him in our home. Chris and I had the honor of hosting him in our home last night. And oh my goodness, did we have fun. And did we, were we challenged with the stories of what God's doing around the world. And so I'm very excited to share that with you, to let you be a part of that, to invite us all into a part of that. And so uh, as I invite Brother Klein, I just want you to just ask God to open your heart to hear what he has to say. We need to connect with the larger body of Christ and, and, and really walk into some things together with him, which we'll talk about more later. Okay, are you ready? Yes, you sure? Okay, all right. Brother Klein, you come. Did we get you a mic? Can you clap longer? I forgot to give him a microphone. All right. <laughs> it's on, John, if you want to give him a... All right. Sorry about that. Good morning. It's a blessing to be here. Sorry. It's a blessing to be here. Can you hear me? Um, I live in Casper. Um, actually, I've been doing missionary work for uh, almost 40 years. I was saved at the age of 18. Uh, was not grown up, did not grow up in a Christian home. And so when I was 18, I heard the gospel when I was uh, down to Glen Rock at a Don Francisco concert, and I got saved. And uh, three years later, I got called on the mission field. And so I've been doing missions ever since. Uh, I've been to over 60 countries of the world. I uh, have been to North Korea, not South Korea, but North Korea. I've been to South Korea as well, but North Korea twice. Um, actually, I've been to Iran twice. And I've been to Afghanistan a couple times um, and actually have gone into China for many, many years, but I've been kicked out twice. Um, I got uh, stopped years ago bringing Bibles in and working with the underground church. I'm going to talk more about that in a few minutes, but I got caught, and so I came back to the United States, and I changed my name. I got a new passport, and I've been going back to China. And I got caught my second time, and now with facial recognition software and fingerprint scanners, I can't get back into China. I'm banned from China. Um, I'm also banned from Iran as well. So I guess that's good things. So, uh, <laughs> so um, when I first got saved, when I got saved, um, somebody gave me a copy of the book God Smuggler by Brother Andrew. And so I read that book. And I started praying for the persecuted church. Little did I know, a couple of years later, I would meet some of the people that I had read about. I would meet them and bring Bibles to them. And it's really humbling to meet some of these people that have spent over 20 years in prison for their faith in Jesus Christ. It's very, very humbling. So I've been really blessed to be able to help them, and, and I'm just really grateful to be here today. Thank you, Pastor Michael and Sister Christy. Um, I want to read a passage of scripture, and then we're gonna, I'm going to talk about what God's doing around the world. It's from 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline or sound mind. 
Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Retain this, the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been trusted to you. So he says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. And he says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. And I think that's what the persecuted church would say to us in America, is join with us in suffering for the gospel. Do not compromise the word of God. Stand strong on the word of God. Do not back down. Don't, don't back away, but stand strong for Jesus Christ. You know, I, I knew a church in China before all the persecution broke out in the last couple of years. I knew a church in China that every Saturday they were praying for the church in America for six hours. Praying for us that we would not compromise the word of God, but that we would stand strong in our faith and not back down, not compromise. And that's what they're saying to us is stand with us, join with us in suffering for the gospel. And that's why I challenge you today is stand up for your faith in Jesus Christ. When the world is telling you, no, 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 there's no absolutes. There's no absolute truth. Stand up for Jesus. The word of God is absolutely true. I'm thankful that I can wake up every day and, and I have the word of God. It doesn't matter any time of the day. But I open up the Bible and I'm reminded it's not about me. It is not about me. Our world says it's all about you. What makes you happy? What's best for you? But when I open the Word of God, I'm reminded it's all about God and His eternal plans and His purposes. That's right. And I get to be a part of uh, fulfilling the plan and the purposes of God in this earth and extending His kingdom. I get to be a part of that, and I want to be a part of that. And so, you know, we need to stand up for our faith and not compromise. He says, for, I have, uh, for this reason I also suffer these things. You know, as Christians, we suffer. We do suffer. We're in a fallen world. And we suffer. Sometimes we suffer for our faith. And we don't want to compromise just to go along with people. The Bible says we will be hated by men. We will be. Because they hated Jesus, they're going to hate us too. But that's okay. Because our time on this earth is very short. It's very short. Eternity is forever. Forever. And so he says, he says, I suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced He's able to guard what I've entrusted to him. My question to you today, are you convinced? Are you convinced that the Bible is absolutely true? Are you totally convinced that this is absolutely true? That Jesus is the only way to the Father? Are you totally convinced? Because there's a lot of people who think there's many roads to God. There is not. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way. And that's offensive to the world, but it's the truth. It's the truth. And this is what our brothers and sisters are standing on around the world. And some of them are dying for their faith. Some of them are going to prison for years. But they love Jesus and they will not compromise. And so we need to be convinced, totally convinced. Not just have this easy belief, but be totally convinced in our hearts that Jesus is the only way. He is the only truth, the only life. That Jesus is God. And he's the only one who can save us from our sins. That's right. He died for the whole world. And so he also says, retain the standards. This is the standard. This is the standard. The word of God is the standard. Hold on to the word of God. When everybody's trying to redefine marriage, redefine gender, redefine everything, I'm thankful we have an anchor. This is the truth. This is the truth. And we can trust it. We can put our whole life into it. So he says, retain the standard of sound words. And then he says, guard through the Holy Spirit the treasure entrusted to you. We have the greatest treasure in the whole world. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
we have the greatest treasure. You cannot buy salvation. You can't do it. You could be a billionaire and, and stand before the Lord and say, okay, I want to buy salvation. God says it's not for sale. Amen. It was paid for on the cross. The blood of Jesus is enough. Jesus said it is finished when he died on the cross. And what a relief that is to know that our sins are washed away and that God's preparing a place for us in heaven. What a relief, you know. I don't have to work for salvation. It's already been paid. I think about when I was in Tibet and seeing these Buddhist people making these, they go 100 miles, they go like this, and they lay down and they, and they stretch out and then they move their, hands, their feet up to where their hands are and go like this for 100 miles and trying to get rid of their sins. And I just want to shake them and say, it's already paid, it's paid for. Jesus paid for the cross. It's done. It's finished. Just repent and put your faith and trust in him and walk in obedience to him. It's already been paid. And so all over the world, I see people, you know, in Nepal and India bathing in filthy water, filthy, dirty water. It's disgusting. And brushing their teeth and washing their mouth out with that filthy water bleeding and cleansing their sins. And for them, there's no assurance of salvation. There's no assurance. They hope, they hope if they do all these rituals that somehow their sins will be forgiven. It's already been paid for at the cross. Amen. Praise Amen. God for that. Yeah. So this morning I want to show a quick video. Can we show up that first video? Okay, that's an underground church in China. And that's highly illegal. Those people would be arrested for meeting like that today. They would be arrested, um, maybe put in prison. Um, their Bibles would definitely be taken away. They were singing from Psalm 40. But these people are determined, they're, we're going to serve God. We're going to still worship God. We're going to gather together. We don't care if the communist government comes and arrests us. And these people just stepped across the line. They said, you know what, Jesus is everything to me. I don't care. I don't care what they do to me. I don't care if you take me to prison. I don't care if you kill me. I'm going to be with Jesus forever. Yeah. And how do you stop a church that's like that? Yeah. Yeah. How do you stop a church when people are so sold out for Jesus Christ that they know that he is everything, that he paid it all on the cross, and they just love him with all their hearts? How do you stop those people? You can't. And that's, that's what frustrates President Xi because he can't stop the church. He's trying to do everything he can to stop it. But these pastors are stepping over the line. They're saying, you know what? We're not going to compromise the word. In China, they're trying to get rid of the word of God. They're trying to get rid of the Bible. There was talk about a new version, a translation, the communist version of the Bible. They took out the book of Revelation. They said in the Old Testament, there's many gods to worship, and President Xi is one of them you need to worship. And if you go into a government church, you'll find on the altar pictures of of Chairman Mao and President Xi on their altars, just like Nazi Germany. And they actually have changed. Um, they said in, in John chapter 8, when Jesus caught the woman in adultery, that they said that the, the men dropped their stones and walked away, and Jesus picked up a big rock, and he smashed her in the head with the rock. And he dropped the rock, and he said, I'm a sinner just like you. And they're teaching that in the schools to teach the kids against Jesus Christ because they hate the truth because the truth sets people free I, I've been to China many many times like I said I've been kicked out twice but I made over a thousand trips into China and they don't care about guns or knives they don't care about me bringing drugs in they're worried about Bibles they're scared because they know when people read the Word of God their life begins to change and when people act on it it, it brings change in lives and affects other people next slide please Okay, 
This is a pastor I met, uh, the second one from the, the right. This is Pastor Allen. I met him when he was 89 years old. Um, I, we brought a load of Bibles to him. It's an amazing story how God got us through the customs. What we got through, we brought a big load of Bibles, 205 Bibles to him. And they said for every Bible we'd bring into China, five people would come to Christ. Every study Bible, 40 people would come to Christ. And so we just keep carrying Bibles in, carrying Bibles in. And so I got to meet this guy, and uh, Brother Andrew actually wrote a book about him. He spent 22 years in prison for his faith in Jesus Christ. He pastored a church in Beijing of 1,500 people. Every year in August, they would baptize 400 new believers. 400 new believers. He was in prison from the time he was 44 till he was 66 years old. Chairman Mao said he was an enemy of the state and he would never see daylight again, never be outside ever again. I asked him, I said, Pastor Allen, what was it like to spend 22 years in prison? He said, I, I had a honeymoon with Jesus. <laughs> he said, all the distractions were removed and it was just me and Jesus for 22 years. And this man was just an amazing guy, so humble. I said, Pastor Allen, how can we as a church in America help the Chinese church? He said, first of all, please pray for us. We have a lot of persecution. A lot of our leaders are in prison. But we're now 9% Christian. The government can't stop us now. Second of all, bring us Bibles. We're desperate for Bibles. So we bring Bibles to him, big loads of Bibles. And he just, it was so amazing to spend time with him. But he gave me a copy of his book that was written by Brother Andrew. And I'm reading this book. And I am just so humbled. He had been in prison for 20 years. He was witnessing the older man in his cell. And the older man said, why don't you just renounce Jesus Christ? You can end all this pain and suffering today and go home to your wife and five kids tomorrow if you just tell the communists you're sorry you were wrong. He said, my suffering is so small compared to what Jesus went, on the, went through on the cross for me. I had to repent. I said, God, forgive me for all the times I complained about stupid, senseless stuff that does not matter. I haven't spent 22 years in prison for my faith. But this man was just, there's something that happens in these people. It's like there's a break with the world. And it becomes all about eternity and living for Jesus. You know, I confess, that man is freer than I was. I live in freedom, I live in democracy, but that man was free because he didn't care what people thought about him anymore. He just loved Jesus with all his heart. And just amazing man. Next one, please. A couple of years ago, I got to hold in my hands hand-copied New Testaments from China. Hand-copied. You know, we take the Word of God so, so, for, so for granted in our country. We say, oh, I, I, I slept in a little too late. I don't have time to have my quiet time today. Or, you know, I'm, just, I'm too busy, Lord, whatever. These people love the Word of God. When we would bring Bibles in, they would tear out the pages. Everybody would get one page of Scripture. They would memorize that page when they come back together, switch pages of, of the Bible. So I got to hold in my hands one of these hand-copied Bibles, New Testaments. You can see the characters. Um, there was a ministry in Hong Kong that was reading the Bible over the radio. And they met with some pastors one day, and they said, we are so grateful that you read the Bible to us, could, but you, could you please read it slower? Because as you're reading, we are transcribing. That's how much they love the Word of God. When I lived in northwest China with the, with the Uyghur people, we ran out of New Testaments. So people were hand-copying the Bible because there wasn't enough to go around. That's how much they love God's Word. You bring a Bible to them, they break down, they cry, and they just hug the Bible to their chest. You know, I pray that God would give us in America a love for the Word of God again. Yeah. Again, that we would come back to his word. Amen? Amen. Next one, please. This is a Chinese lady just getting a Bible a couple months ago. Um, they, you see how grateful they are to get Bibles. Uh, some of the kids that go through underground Bible schools, they have to memorize a whole New Testament before they can graduate from Bible school. I mean, it's just amazing the love for the word of God. Next one, please. Here's an older gentleman reading the Bible. I mean, they're just so grateful to get a Bible. You know, it's something we take for granted. Some of us, I had one lady tell me, I got 29 study Bibles in my house. And I said, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us because we don't, you know, we have all these Bibles, but we don't read it. 
And what good is it? Next one, please. Okay, our team was just in Vietnam. Um, the pastor is the one on the right there. Um, he spent seven years and three months in prison for his faith in Jesus Christ. Seven years and three months. Um, we cannot get enough Bibles to him. Years ago, I was talking to a, a Hmong man that's a tribal man from Vietnam. met him years ago in St. Paul, Minnesota. He said, can you please help us? We have 300,000 believers, and we only have 600 New Testaments for 300,000 people. I, w I couldn't sleep that night. I said, Lord, I'm single. I can go. If you provide Bibles, we'll carry them. And so we've been carrying Bibles. I'm actually going again next week. Um, on Friday, we leave. And so we'll be bringing more Bibles in. But we cannot keep up. The church is growing so fast. It's amazing what God is doing. Amazing. Years ago, these tribal people, uh, we'll stop this for a second. Um, these tribal people asked us, could you bring us a songbook? And so we, we brought these songbooks into them, and they started to cry. They said, we're so excited. We can worship God now with all of our liver. <laughs> I said, your liver? And they said, yeah, we worship God with all our liver. I said, well, we worship with all our heart. The Bible says, worship with everything that's in you, so I guess liver works, you know? <laughs> because a lot of them used to be headhunters, and what they would do is they would kill somebody they admired, and they would eat their liver to get their their characteristics they would they would eat their liver and now that's stopped but but it's just amazing that they worship god with all their liver so it's like whatever works okay but these people are just so hungry for the word of god it's amazing and and so last i heard it was over seven hundred thousand believers just in vietnam all throughout southeast asia it's over a million believers and we just keep trying to get bibles in but the church just keeps growing i was uh, going through customs and i have quite a story i could tell you but I'll just shut, shorten it up. But um, I was going through, and God just got me through the customs. I met with the pastor. He took me to this underground Bible school. I went there, and he said, you got to meet this pastor. So this pastor comes up, and he said, this pastor's house church was raided two weeks ago. The communists came in and took the Bibles right out of the hands of the believers, took their Bibles away. They went to take the pastor's wife's Bible, but she loved the Word of God. She was not going to part with it. So she's fighting with the communist officials over her Bible. Now, you don't do that in a communist country. They can do anything they want to, okay? But she loved the Word of God. She was not going to part with the Word of God. So she's fighting with them over the Bible. Eventually, they let her keep her Bible. But I thought, what would happen in our country if our government said, okay, everybody turn in your Bible? Would we freely hand in our Bibles? Or would we fight for the Word of God? I pray that we would fight for the Word of God, that we would say, God's, this is God's Word. I'm not going to surrender it. You're going to have to take my life because I'm going to stand on the Word of God. I'm not going to compromise. And that's a challenge to us is that we need to love God's Word. So we were able to give that pastor 22 Bibles. Another pastor can have 14. Another one can I have 18. We cannot keep up. The church is growing so fast in Vietnam. All over the world, God is drawing people everywhere. You know, COVID did a number on the world, but a lot of people now are searching and saying, we can't trust our government, we can't trust our media, we can't trust organizations. What's the truth? And people are turning to Jesus all over the world. Amen. They told us, even in Afghanistan, the people said, we prayed to Allah, it didn't work. Now we want to pray to Jesus. So you start praying to Jesus, things are going to begin to happen. Amen? Okay, next one, please. Okay, this is a pastor we work with in Laos. Um, this pastor on the left spent 14 years in prison for his faith in Jesus Christ. While he was in prison, he led several young men to Christ. He discipled them. They went out and planted 63 more churches. He said, could we get 7,000 more Bibles? 7,000 more Bibles. So we're just keep printing Bibles and keep carrying them across the border and just trying to help our brothers and sisters because we need to have the Word of God. We need God's Word, especially in a culture that's trying to redefine everything. We need to have the absolute truth. We need to know that God created this. God created the heavens and the earth and that He set it in motion and He gave us commandments and we do obey those commandments. And because He's God, because He's Creator, He has a right to say how it's going to be. Amen? Amen. We don't question Him. And so um, we work in getting Bibles in. We're also, I'm actually, like I said, I'm leaving this weekend, uh, Friday, and we're going to be going back into Laos and trying to reach more people with the gospel. People, villages who've never heard the name of Jesus. 
never heard the name of Jesus. Now, that's hard for us to understand in America because we think of the internet, we think of TV and everything else we have. We think, oh, everybody in the world's heard the gospel. No, many people around the world have never heard the gospel. And the Bible says the gospel must be preached in all the world for a sign, then the end will come. It has to go to all the world first. And, you know, I know a lot of people are saying, oh, I just want to be raptured out of here. I just want to go. Life is tough. i got to get out of here. You know, life is tough for our brothers and sisters every single day. Every single day. And they're not saying, Lord, rapture us out. But instead, Lord, make us strong so that we can boldly proclaim the gospel. You know, Turkey is a country of 81 million people. 81 million people. The majority of people are Muslims. They're nominal Muslims. But most of them have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's 6,000 Christians in the whole country of 81 million people. And it's like, Lord, please don't come back. Lord, we, I want to see Turkey saved. I want to see you pour out your spirit on the people of Turkey. Because, Lord, it's not your will that any perish, but that all come to repentance. And so there's many people that need to hear the gospel yet. So there's a lot of work to be done. But we pray and we do what we can to help get the gospel going. Next one, please. So we started carrying duffel bags of Bibles into Laos over 30 years ago. When we first started carrying Bibles in, there were 400 believers. Today, there's over 250,000 believers. And God opened it up. Um, so we're carrying these duffel bags across, and only uh, one time I got close to getting caught. The guy reached down the duffel bag. There's a bunch of sweaters at the top. Had he reached down about three more inches, he'd hit the first Bible. But he didn't get to it, so they let us through. So I thought, let's try something we've never done. Let's try a thousand Bibles going into Laos. Now, these are three pounds. I'm sorry, back up. We do 500 first. So these are three pounds a piece. So, okay. So we had them shipped up to the northern part of Thailand. And we normally have to put them in black duffel bags, put them on a bus, and go about a block, take them off the bus, put them on another bus, and then go about a block across the bridge, and then unload them and walk them through customs. Okay, it's a lot of work especially when it's 90 degrees and 80% humidity, okay? And these duffel bags are heavy, heavy, like 70 pounds a piece, okay? But you try to make it look like they're not heavy. So this guy comes up, we're at the border, this guy comes up with a van. He said, sir, do you want to ride to the capital? I said, okay. How much does it cost? He said, 30 bucks. I said, sold. So we load 1,500 pounds of Bibles into the back of this guy's van. The back of the van is sagging so low. I'm like, Lord, we are so busted. You've got to help us, okay? So we get up by the customs, and the guy says, open the hatch. Now, it's floor-to-ceiling, black duffel bags, 1,500 pounds of Bibles. Floor-to-ceiling, okay? He said, open up the hatch. I said, Father, it's the moment of truth. We need your help. Opened it up. The guy looked right at it. He said, okay, close it up. You're good to go. I have no idea what he saw. <laughs> So um, I thought, well, if we can do 500, let's try 1,000. So we load them into three van uh, four vans. We drove right through the, the customs. The next team had 1,000 Bibles. They were stopped. Customs took all their Bibles away, and they said, it's going to cost you $10,000 to get it back. Well, I don't want to pay $10,000 to get back. I want to buy more, you know. And so they were able to convince them to let them take them back to Thailand. And so they're on their knees praying in this hotel, and Lord, you know, Lord, help us. Help us get these Bibles into Laos. So there's a knock at the door. They open the door. It's one of the van drivers. He said, I have a friend who has a truck. I think he can get your Bibles into Laos for you. So the guy shows up the next night at 9 o'clock. They load the, van, the Bibles into the van, 1,000 pounds of Bibles. And the guy, sorry, 1,000 Bibles, 3,000 pounds. They load them in the van. And the guy said, don't worry. My brother works in customs. <laughs> He said, you go through the border at 9.30. We close it at 10 o'clock. We don't want to hold you up, so we want to go home. So they let him drive right through. Yeah. The next load of Bibles was actually 2,000 Bibles, 6,000 pounds of Bibles. And the customs official drove the truck. <laughs> <laughs> now, by the grace of God, we're sending container loads. Actually, uh, semi-loads of Bibles into the country of Laos. God is opening the borders because God wants his people to be saved. Um, we actually have a container of Bibles arriving in Cuba next week. 37,000 Bibles going into Cuba, into a communist country. Only God could do this. 
Only God could do it. And so it's exciting serving the Lord. You know, I hear Christians sometimes, well, I'm kind of bored. And I'm like, get saved. Get right with Jesus. <laughs> Life is exciting when you serve Jesus. Yeah. It's exciting. You know, we get, to, we get to talk to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, anytime, day or night. You know, and God can do anything. And it's like, Lord, I'm excited when I wake up. Lord, what are you going to do today? I just want to be a vessel for you to use today. Lord, I yield myself to you. Use me, Lord, for your glory. Lord, there's so many people around me that are hurting and, and that are lost and without God and without hope. Lord, use me. And that's the way we should be is, Lord, use us. Here am I, Lord. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, he bought us. My life is not mine anymore. My life belongs to Jesus. And it's like, Lord, how can I glorify you? you know, I lived for the devil before. Now I want to live for Jesus and bring him a lot of glory because he is the truth. Amen? Sorry, I get a little rowdy sometimes. My dad, my dad thought I joined a cult when I got saved. I'm like, he's like, Pat, tone it down. Don't talk about religion. Don't talk about Jesus. I'm like, Dad, Jesus is everything. I have to talk about him. I have to talk about him. He saved me from my sins. He saved me from hell. He's preparing a place for me in heaven. How can I not talk about Jesus? You know? And God wants to give us a holy boldness that we are not ashamed and we're not afraid to speak to people. People need to hear the truth of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, you know, loading up in the truck, we keep sending Bibles by containers now all over the world. And it's exciting what God is doing. Next one, please. This is a short video. Sorry, it's kind of dark. There he was baptizing a lady at 2 o'clock in the morning in a 55-gallon drum. A lot of countries around the world, Christians can't freely, you know, practice their faith. And, you know, to baptize somebody, you have to do it in the middle of the night in secret. And yet the church continues to grow. This, this friend of mine, he is just amazing. He's probably one of the most radical Christians I've ever met in my entire life. Okay? So his vision is to go to every village in his country with the gospel. This guy will walk for days to go to villages, okay? And um, we got him a vehicle a couple of years ago. They actually gave a, lady, a ride to her, to her house in her village, and then they would walk two days beyond that to go up in the mountains to preach the gospel. People never heard the name of Jesus. Well, they were sharing the Jesus film with this lady, and she invited all of her neighbors. They preached to 30 people, and my friend got arrested. He and his buddy got arrested, put in prison for six months. Christians around the world were praying for them. He was released. They were released after six months. I went to see him in his country, and I said, Brother, how you doing? Now, I thought he would be depressed and discouraged. I went to see him. I said, How you doing, brother? He said, You never guess what God did. God allowed us to go to prison to bring the gospel to the prisoners. He said, We preached to 130 prisoners. We prayed with 20 of them for salvation. We baptized eight of them in the prison. He was excited. He said, God started a prison ministry for me now. So he was telling me one day, he showed me the prison he was in. And he said one time he was in the prison and the Holy Spirit said, preach to this guy. He's like, Lord, I don't like that guy. He's a criminal. Of course he's a criminal. He's in prison. Okay. And the Holy Spirit kept saying, preach to him, preach to him. So finally one day he broke down and he started preaching to the guy. Led the man to Christ, baptized the man, the discipled the man. The man went to Nepal and planted 30 churches in Nepal. My friend has planted 29 house churches in his country, and he has Bible studies going now in 13 prisons. Wow. A couple years ago, he was arrested again. I went to see him. I said, what'd you do this time? He said, I'm preaching the gospel. He said, but every day I was in the prison, I preached to the prison warden. And he said, after two months, he said, if you stay in here longer, I'm going to become a Christian. You need to leave our prison. <laughs> so he was going into the prison with some Bibles one day, and they said, you can't bring Bibles in here. He said, well, these are New Testaments. He said, okay, New Testaments are fine, just no Bibles. <laughs> this guy is just, he's just radical for Jesus. He's unstoppable. And it's just amazing because he knows what Jesus has done for him on the cross. 
He loves Jesus with all his heart. He's removed all those distractions and he's just focused. He's focused to say, I, I want to live for Jesus. I want to bring him glory for eternity. That that's all that matters. Next one, please. Here's a baptism in the river. A lot of people around the world can't openly baptize in their churches and that. And once you get baptized as a Christian in a lot of these countries around the world, your life is an affront to the government, to the religion, to everything. It's like I'm stepping across the line. I'm all sold out for Jesus now. He's everything to me. And they're unstoppable. It's amazing. Okay, let's stop the slides from there. I want to talk about Pakistan for a few minutes. I know you guys have had a heart to get Bibles into Pakistan. So we've been working in Pakistan for many years, uh, sending a lot of Bibles in there. It's a very difficult country for Christians. A lot, of, about 208 million people in, in Pakistan. A majority of them are Muslims. A very small minority of them are really radical Muslims. Most of them are just, they're Muslim in name only. They want to raise their kids. They want to, you know, they want to provide for their families. They're no different than Americans in a sense. They're just in a different religion. A lot of them don't even know what they believe. But God is really working in Pakistan because the radicals have done a lot of terrorism and have killed a lot of their leaders. And people are just, they've had enough with Islam. All over the world, you're seeing it in Iran right now. The people have had enough with Islam. And that's why the women are taking off their, their chadoras and saying, you know, we want to be free. We're tired of the oppression. And even in Iran right now, the church is about one million believers. I mean, it's amazing what God is doing. Um, I've been to Iran. I've talked to many Iranians. I've worked with the Iranian church. 80% of them that come to Christ have had a dream or a visitation from Jesus. And it's amazing. They have a dream or a visitation. Somebody shares the gospel and they get saved. It's just amazing what God is doing. The government cannot stop the church. They can't. Okay? But in Pakistan, years ago, we got a Bible in the hands of a Taliban soldier. And this Taliban soldier read the Bible. He got saved. And he went out and he's preached over 500 more Taliban soldiers and given them Bibles. There are 5,000 Muslims calling for his death, but he just keeps going with the gospel. He keeps going because he knows what Jesus has done for him on the cross. And years ago, I had an experience that was really life-changing for me. A friend of mine said, Pat, we're going to go to Pakistan. I said, okay. He didn't tell me the background at all. But he, we went to visit this village with another friend. And we went to visit this village. And we met this lady. She was very poor. And this village was very poor. And this woman was crying. She was crying. And she had four little kids with her. The oldest boy was a, was a son named Tariq, 10 years old. Okay? And so we're sitting there. And the story comes out that her husband was a pastor. God had called him to plant a church in a Muslim village. And so Pastor George packed up his family and moved his family to this Muslim village to plant a church. Now, when you go to Islamic countries, on their mosque, they have a loudspeaker. So you can hear the call to prayer five times a day. It's very loud, okay? So Pastor George put a loudspeaker on top of his house so when he would preach, everybody in the village could hear the gospel. And Pastor George was having tremendous success in the village. And the village leader went to George. He said, I hate you, George. I'm going to kill you one day. I'm going to kill you. And Pastor George just faithfully kept preaching the gospel. And Muslims would come to him and they'd say, will you pray for us? And God would heal them. They'd come back and say, tell us about this Jesus you serve. And so he was having tremendous success in the village. And so here we are meeting with the family. Two weeks before, Pastor George, his wife, and his four kids were sitting on the bed and they were watching the Jesus film in Urdu, their language. And the three little ones had fallen asleep, but the oldest boy, Tariq, 10 years old, was still awake. They finished watching the Jesus film and the mother went to open the door to go outside and two Muslim gunmen came in and put a gun right at Pastor George's throat and shot him. Run right in front of his wife and his four kids, shot him and he fell back on the bed and he said, it is finished, and he died. This happened two weeks before we meet this lady and her kids. And so we were working with them, trying to help them and find ways to keep their kids in schools and everything else. And I noticed the boy Tariq was off to the side. And so I went over to Tariq and I, put, I said, Tariq, is it okay if I pray for you? He said, yes. So I put my arm around him and we prayed for him. And then I asked him, I said, Tariq, 
what do you want to do when you grow up? He said, I want to be a pastor like my daddy. I want to be a pastor like my daddy. He just saw his father martyred for the cause of Christ two weeks before. And he said, I want to be a pastor like my daddy. See, we're a testimony for Jesus or a testimony against Jesus. Either people see Jesus in our lives or they're turned off to Jesus because our testimony is not a good testimony. But Pastor George was a life of obedience, and it cost him his life. But his son said, I want to be like my daddy. I want to be like my daddy. And so I want to challenge us today that we don't want to be ashamed of the gospel. We want to live a life that pleases Jesus, that brings God much glory. I thought, how many people will Tariq see come to faith in Jesus Christ because of dad's sacrifice? And no, Christianity is not an easy thing. In America, we think it's just an easy thing. You just believe in Jesus and you're fine. You just go about your way. But when you really are a follower of Jesus, you take your cross, you deny yourself and you follow him. You crucify yourself and you say, Jesus, it's all about you. It's not about me. It's all about you. And that's why the church is so strong around the world because they've made it all about Jesus, not about themselves. And I believe that God wants to use a church in America to impact America again. But it's going to happen when we are sold out for Jesus Christ. When we're sold out, we say Jesus is more important than money. Jesus is more important than material possessions. Jesus is more important than position or promotion. Jesus is more important than anything. He is everything. So I want to challenge you today. Our brothers and sisters are saying, join with us in suffering for the gospel. Join with us. Don't compromise. Don't back down. Don't, don't shrink back when it comes to opportunity to share the gospel, but share the gospel with people. People all around us are hurting. I want to close with a story. I was coming back from Rapid City, and I was going to speak in Gillette, and uh, I thought I'll stop at the Flying J and get a bottle of water and use the restroom. And I walked in the door, and there's a girl standing there, and she's got a suitcase, and we're fighting trafficking around the world. And I thought of this girl, and I thought, has she been trafficked? And so um, I said to her, are, are you okay? She said, yes, I'm fine. And, and I said, I have a little gospel thing, a little track I would like to share with you about Jesus. Would you like it? She said, yes. So she took this track. I went and used the restroom, got a bottle of water, came out, and this girl was reading this track. And I thought, Lord, she's really opened the gospel. And so um, I said to her, I said, do you have a Bible? She said, no, I don't. I said, would you like a Bible? She said, yes. And so I went and got a Bible from the car. I came back and I started showing her in the Gospel of John. I said, start reading here. And I was supposed to be at dinner with these people. And I just felt the Lord said, you need to be here right now. This is where I want you. You're going to be late for dinner, but this is more important right here. Talking to this girl. So I sat down with this girl and I started sharing the Gospel with her. And then I shared my testimony with her. And she told me her name and she said, I'm 24 years old and I have a problem with drugs. I said, drugs aren't a problem for God. You know, Jesus has set many people free from drugs and alcohol, all kinds of addictions. It's not a problem for him. And if you cry out to Jesus, Jesus will deliver you from those things. And she said, okay. And she said, can I tell you something else? I said, yes. She said, I woke up this morning and I thought about taking my life today. I thought about taking my life. I said to her, I said, that's not the solution. That'd be the beginning of your troubles. You need to repent and turn your life to Jesus Christ. And as I'm talking to her, I just felt like this infusion of hope was just coming into this girl. And her whole countenance began to change. Before she was kind of depressed, and all of a sudden she's got a smile on her face. And I could just see God changing her. And I said, can I pray for you again? I prayed for her earlier, and she wiped a tear or two away. I said, can I pray for you again? She said, yes. It was like a faucet was turned on, tears just streaming down her face. And I thought, God, you're touching this girl. You're cleansing this girl. You're, you're ministering to this girl. And I said, I think there's some things you've done in your past that you think God will never forgive. She said, yes. I said, it doesn't matter what you've done. It does not matter what you have done. If you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm sorry for this sin. Please forgive me. He will forgive you. And she just got this infusion of hope. It was amazing. She said to me, before you leave, could I hug you goodbye? And I said, yes. She gave me a hug. I said, before you leave, I'm going to give you my address, and my, or, sorry, my phone number and my 
and my name. And I said, when you get home to South Dakota tonight, will you call me and let me know you're okay because I'm going to be concerned for you. I'm going to be praying for you all night until I hear from you, and I'm going to sleep a lot better if you tell me you're okay. So she called me three hours later. She said, I want you to know I'm home safe and sound. She says, I just want to tell you thank you for telling me about Jesus. Thank you for telling me about Jesus. You gave me hope. And I said, before you go to bed tonight, just kneel down by your bed and just raise your hands and say, Jesus, I surrender all. I surrender all. I thought, how many people, even in our country, are without God and without hope? And we who have that hope need to share it with people all around us. We've been entrusted with the greatest treasure in the whole world, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want to share it. We want to be obedient to bring our Father glory, to glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I'd like to close in prayer. We're going to pray for the persecuted church, and then pastor will take over after that. Father, we just come humbly in the name of Jesus. We thank you for our brothers and sisters in China, even those in North Korea, our brothers and sisters around the world that are suffering for their faith. Father, we pray that you would encourage them today. We pray you'd strengthen them and their testimony for you, that, Lord, you would encourage them and let them know that there's believers around the world praying for them, that, Lord, we're all in this together. We need to help each other. And so, Father, we just pray you strengthen them, strengthen those that are even in prison and, and uh, even are dying for their faith. We pray you strengthen their families as well. We, we pray for um, Tariq in Pakistan. We pray that Tariq would be able to lead many Many people to righteousness in that country, Father. We pray the gospel go forth everywhere and that, Lord, you would change. Even, even terrorists, that you would change them. Even Paul was a terrorist of sorts. That, Lord, you would change people and you would transform them and make them trophies of your grace. And, Father, I just pray for us here. I pray that you would give us a love for the word of God, that we would love your word, that we would spend time in your word daily that we let the Word of God renew our minds, and that, Lord, we would love Jesus with all of our hearts, that we would not compromise the gospel, that we would not be ashamed, but we would join with our brothers and sisters in suffering, and that we'd stand up. It doesn't matter what the world thinks of us. What matters is what does Jesus think about us. And we want you to say to us on that day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We just thank you for this time, Lord. I pray you bless each one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Great job. So uh, we're about to take communion together, and I'll have you stand in just a minute, but but. I wanted, to, I wanted to make this communion a little larger in our minds and in our hearts. Um, it's awesome that we can do communion together as the family today. Uh, it's awesome when a small group does communion too. But today I'd like to do communion with the whole body of Christ. I'd like to, uh, I'd like to as, we, as we join in the, the, body, the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus, I want us to join in with the church around the world that's persecuted, that struggles, that's in poverty, that's all those things. I want us to connect that we are part of something way larger than what's happening in this room. Something that is eternal, not just a moment, but an eternal season. I want to join them in the throne of heaven and do communion with them today. I want to read you the passage that Paul shared with uh, the Corinthians as a way of preparation before we do this together. Realizing that Paul encouraged us to, as the King James says, to take the cup worthily. I used to struggle with that term. And then I realized that the only way I could ever be worthy is the blood of Jesus. And so how you prepare for communion is you take all that stuff that's bothering you, that you've know that's wrong in your life that shouldn't be there, and you hand it to Jesus. And you put that under the blood because that's what the cup is about. It's about the blood that spilled and the body that was broken 
for your salvation, for your freedom, for your eternity. It seems like the American church, the Western church, forgets that Jesus saved us from eternity of suffering. And we should rejoice that he has prepared a place for us in heaven. And that's what communion remembers. Paul put it this way, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. Did you catch that, that Jesus made a special appointment with the Apostle Paul? They did not meet when Jesus was alive. Jesus made a special appointment with Paul to make sure he got communion right. That's amazing. I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the, light, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. And then I'll add one other scripture that I think is very important for what we're up doing today. The writer of Hebrews tells us, remember, remember, remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your bodies. Let's stand and take communion with the church eternal. This is a two-part package if you haven't done this with us before. There's a cellophane wrap and a foil wrap. So the cellophane will get you to the bread. The body broken for Jesus, let's take that together. And then the foil, the blood poured out for our sins. If I could have the worship team.